श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए गौ नित्यानंद की जाए गौ भक्तबिंद की जाए गौ प्रेमानंद सो गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन गैदर्ड ऑन दिस स्पेशल ओकेजन ऑफ द अपीयरेंस ऑफ भक्ति विनोद व्हिच कोइंसाइड्स विद द अपीयरेंस ऑफ जीव वसामी एंड वामन अवतार वी हर्ड फ्रॉम मार्स दिस मॉर्निंग समथिंग अबाउट all of these wonderful uh um persons and gods mm. and so tonight I want to speak a little bit further but not at any length and I'm going to read a couple of things uncharacteristic of me but um hope they will be inspiring to you as they are to me <clears throat> Bhaktivinoda Thakur appeared in the world in 1838. Hope to live long enough to celebrate his 200th appearance anniversary. And so, seems a long time. It would be 200 years. Seems like yesterday that Bhaktivinoda was here and I wasn't here, but he seems so close. <laughs> Of course, he didn't leave the world until 1914, so he stayed amongst us for 75 years and made a major contribution to the Gaudiya Vaishnav community and the, the religious, theological uh, world of, of of spiritual interest uh, as well. <clears throat> His uh, name at birth was Kedarnath. Which is a curious name. It's uh, it's a a uh, name for Lord Shiva, hmm. as my initiated name Tripari is also a name for Shiva. A fellow once criticized me. What kind of Vaishnav is he? Yes, it's the name of Lord Shiva. Because it is stated in Srimad Bhagavatam, the twelfth canto, Vaishnavanam Vitashambhu, that Shiva is the best Vaishnav. That's kind of a exaggeration, and a ploy to bring in the Shaivites. Uh, certainly, uh, the Gopis and Vrindavan inhabitants hold the highest position. Then again, of course, we give such a high position in Gaudiya Vaishnavism too. Uh, Mahadev Shiva himself, hmm, by uh, uh, pointing out that uh, his position in the Braj Lila as Chitrapal, the protector of the Dhams, hmm, and um, as uh, Gopishwar, the gatekeeper for the uh, Krishna's Rasa Lila. So there's a gopi form of Lord Shiva, and he's uh, worshipped in, in Vrindavan in that way. And so, as I have said at other times, no one flatters Shiva more than the Gaudiya Vaishnavas. Shaivites may argue with the Vaishnavites as to whether Shiva is superior or Vishnu is superior. In South India, that kind of argument goes on. It said the Ramanujas won't enter the temple of Shiva nor the Madhvas, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did hmm. many Shiva temples and uh, acknowledged him in a higher sense as Vaishnav, as, for that matter, Krishna does and acknowledges the devotees to be worshipable by himself. Hmm. So to... Establish Shiva as the supreme is not as flattering as to uh, point to his position as an intimate server, servitor of Radha and Krishna. <clears throat> and uh, of course, my name in particular is a name for Lord Shiva. At a time, it's mentioned in the Bhagavatam when he's particularly empowered by Krishna to accomplish the task of conquering over the uh, non-devotional influence. Prabhupada told me you should do that. <laughs> uh, so, but 
proud to have a, a, a such a name uh, as uh, Thakur Bhaktivinoda does, uh, following in his footsteps in one respect, uh, in a small way, as he also has a name, uh, Kedarnath. Hmm. And uh, this Kedarnath actually refers to the uh, one of the famous places of pilgrimage in the Himalayas. There. There's a famous uh, Char Dham, Four Dhams. I think that Shankar established four monasteries, Puri, Badrinath, I forget the other two. But then there's a Chota Char Dham too. Chota means like small. And uh, so there's another four. And Kedarnath is amongst them. And amongst all the... Of course, we have our own Dhams, Puri being one of them, which we have in common with. Shankar, but Vrindavan and and uh, and, and Navadvip, and more so, these two. But um, in the broader sense of Hinduism in general, these are famous bodes, special portals, places, and uh, excuse me. And amongst them, this Kedarnath is the most remote, actually. And uh, I think the villagers vacate the. Uh, um, upper area for certain months of the year. In recent times there was a huge, was an earthquake and flooding there. Flooding. flooding caused a lot of damage. So it's way, way up there in the Himalayas, most remote of places. And at the mouth of the Mandakini, Mandakini is one of the major uh, tributaries, branches that make up uh, ultimately the entirety of the Ganga with its um, powerful flow into the Bay of Bengal, and it's mentioned the Mandakini also in the Bhagavatam as one of the sacred rivers. So that place, that land is called Kedar Chetra. It's named after an ancient, ancient king. I guess he worshipped Lord Shiva, so Shiva's name there is Kedarnath, the lord of the place of Kedar, that, that area, which is, um, as I say, um, at the mouth of the Mundakini. Some connection with uh, with Vrindavan from there, and that Kedar, King Kedar is said to have a daughter that was thought to be an incarnation of Brinda, after whom Vrindavan is named. Hmm. Um, at any rate, uh, uh, he was so named at birth, Kedarnath, born in Birnagar, in, in Nadia, Godadesh, the Gaudamandala, the place of the circle of the pastimes of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And uh, and to uh, a time, the village was very wealthy, uh, so to a a well-to-do family that met with calamity in due course, and famine, and disease, and so on and so forth. Um, But the name Kedarnath uh, seems to have stuck with him even at the time of his initiation. It doesn't appear that it was changed by his um, Diksha Guru. Later, uh, a scholarly, learned assembly of Vaishnavas in Bengal bestowed upon him collectively the title Bhaktivinoda. Bhaktivinoda means like to take pleasure, who takes pleasure in bhakti. And, uh, and extending that beyond that, the, the common people, owing to his contribution, which is immense, as I mentioned, and we'll, we'll mention some of the details of that, uh, owing to that contribution and the way in which he stood out amongst them, he was also um, referred to with the honorific of Takur, which is means like almost like God, like divine person, like the res- most respected, the most respected Bhaktivinod. Kedarnath Bhaktivinod Takur, hmm, whom we readily refer to as Bhaktivinod. Thakur, Bhaktivinod. Hmm. It's a beautiful title. And it's significant that uh, a number of Vaishnava scholars of some committee um, gave him the, the title and um, honored his work, his, his literary work, a good uh, part of which was written before he was ever initiated. Hmm. I've said before, and it's worth repeating, that I have I described Bhakti Nautaka as the first Western convert. Hmm. 
Um, he was educated by English school and became familiar with Western thought. And, um, and he developed some less than desirable Western habits, as he describes himself. He wrote a famous letter, Svalakita Jivana, it's like a letter about my life to one of his sons, Lalit Prashad, the brother, one of the brothers of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. <clears throat> Very candid letter telling about his life up to the point um, where Lalit Prashad went to college and he said, the rest, well, you'll be around for that. Um, so uh, he describes his progress of thought and action and and uh, family affairs and uh, um, very ordinary uh, dealings. How so he got transferred to different districts and his job and um, birth of children and, and so on and so forth. But his, his thinking also, and you see a progress in his thinking, which is um, leads one on the surface to see him as somewhat of an ordinary person that became a great. Uh, Vaishnav, and uh, that may be a, a valid angle of position that we may draw a lot of inspiration from because of the measure of his depth that he arrived at and the um, apparent status that he came from, some, some of which you'll resonate with if you were to, if you were to read it. Um, at the same time, uh, when I first read Svalikataji, many, many, many years ago, um, I had a different impression, which is more the impression of the great Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, who is his son, and, and uh, I think without question the heir to his um, desire to, a very strong desire to see Gaudi Vaishnavism spread um, wide and far, if, if you will, and to be presented with some intellectual integrity. Hmm. Um, but um, but uh, anyway, when I, when I read this, Vilikitajivana, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, he tended to see Bhakti Thakur as a, a, a great and um, even liberated person descending amongst us and, and so forth. The biography, if you will, it's, kind of, it's a letter, but biographical notes and so forth by his own hand might lead one to think otherwise. Um, but my, again, my reading of it was, uh, was had a different, uh, well, a certain impression. The impression was that he kind of like went through these different types of thinking, almost to non-theistic Mayavad, to... Uh, uh, like a progression leading to, uh, to Vaishnavism uh, that that he went through very kind of rapidly and uh, as if to be in a position to talk about them and move on but that his position was always something greater than that hmm? that there was a lesson in it but it might be taken in different ways at any rate um some like to see him as a Nityasiddha, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitakur. Some will see him as a Sadamsiddha, and some people criticize him. And there was some recent criticism circulating on the internet that somebody brought to my attention in emails of what to say about this. And it was um, rather um, um, very much a party spirit kind of criticism that he stood so much. Uh, against and uh, not based on that factual information and and uh, and the fellow asked me what to say about this. I said, well, if if that's what their the guy's new guru is teaching, I mean, it's not very interesting. I thought he was thinks he's gone to the real succession now, and this is all he wants to preach about. <laughs> Something's wrong with Bhakti Vinod. <laughs> is there anything good about what you've got? You think that that might he might be preoccupied with that. Um, so, uh, not everybody has eyes to see. This classic example is the owl, who's awake, awake, asleep. His eyes are closed during the 
the daytime. So he doesn't see the sun. So you're, you can't wake a sleeping man. A man, I should say, a man who's pretending to sleep. So at any rate, um, uh, his work and character contribution speaks for itself, very ex- extraordinary. And a lot of it, as I say, was um, done, the, the Vaishnavism, the conversion he had. He was in the midst, in the middle, uh, in the midst of a very um, um, upwardly mobile group of, to use the term today, of progressives in uh, Hindu uh, educated and pious society who were dealing with currents of thought from the West that, uh, that previously, previous thinkers didn't have contact with, didn't have to deal with. So they had to look that group at the thoughts that they had been brought up with in their culture, religious, spiritual heritage, and so forth, in light of Western thought. And a lot of that Western thought being that Christianity is the true religion, and then there were other um, scientific findings and so forth. This is in the you know, 19th 19th century. <clears throat> so he was in the midst of all of that, and therefore, his, as I say, his familiarity with Western thought. I found, actually, I was looking at the Svilika Nijivana just, just before I came here, uh, which I have a copy of, and uh, I hadn't uh, remembered this, but I've said before that he wrote to Emerson, Ralph Waldo Emerson, one of the first American transcendentalists, as he's called, and Emerson actually wrote back. Hmm. Bhaktivinoda Thakur had his cited his uh, Emerson's letter. It was quite short because Bhaktivinoda had sent him a copy, apparently, of Krishna Samhita in Bengali. <laughs> and uh, Emerson wrote back and said, all I can say is thank you very much, but I don't speak the language, so I can only thank you for the gift and your intentions and so forth. Um, but they had a, you know, an exchange, uh, Bhaktivinoda and, and Emerson. I find it kind of prophetic in, in, in a way that that Bhaktivinoda's first contact in Ameri- the Americas was with uh, such a uh, thoughtful, insightful person who obviously, as you, as you may know from reading any of his works or familiarity with him, as a person that he had um, some deep appreciation for what Indian thought he had come in touch with. He very much revered the Gita. Hmm. Um, so... Uh, anyway, Bhaktivinoda was, as you know, was in, in the midst of all of this, and um, and he uh, emerged from it all. Um, he was a uh, popular contemporary figure. And as I say, he came from a good family, which was well known and so forth. In Svalika Najivana, he says at one point that his father was once called the most handsome man in in, in Calcutta. <laughs> so some fame from and his mother was was very intelligent and uh, austere, religious and uh, well known uh, also, um, and so himself and uh, and he was so he was popular um, and his uh, visitation to different religious groups who were in this kind of rethinking of of Hinduism in light of modern thought. It's something analogous to perhaps in Europe when the uh, Europe was Christianity reigned and and faith um, uh, um, had not been uh, I want to say very much uh, had had not had found the necessity to be harmonized with head with thoughts, with with empirical evidence that seemed to uh, needed to be weighed in on and so forth. Some writings of Aristotle were found, the story goes, that had not previously surfaced that caused the Christians to think and also theology was really, Western theology was kind of born out of that. Mm. Um, and so this is a similar kind of, kind of thing. Mm. It should be noted here, I suppose, as an aside that Empiricism is a very, very limited uh, uh, for the empirical way of knowing is 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 a, is a good way of knowing certain things, but it's 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 a, it's not a way of knowing many things. Hmm. Many things we know that 
can't be supported by empirical evidence. We know by by reasoning and and by experience. We know, and as much as we can, we conduct ourselves accordingly. I've often said we cannot empirically prove that the subjective experience that I exist is well empirically supported. <laughs> but so we don't. We don't. We don't um, stop from thinking and acting, conducting ourselves as if we do. So, uh, still, certain empirical evidence is does demonstrate certain things about the world, and and so some Western findings and thought and so forth, uh, and and uh, coming in touch with that for the first time with a certain outlook based on faith and scripture and certain particular understanding of the scripture and its implications. This was going on in Calcutta, which was kind of the seat, I guess, of the British Empire in, uh, in, in, uh, in India. And so there were many groups rethinking, and, uh, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur was uh, known by the groups, and each was, you get the impression, they were thinking, he, he will probably join us, and if we do... If he does, we'll have a real good man in our group here. And it was to the surprise of many that he uh, uh, became a Chaitanya Vaishnava, which speaks about the um, unfortunate condition of the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition at the time in terms of it being misrepresented by various uh, uh, groups um, and Thus, um, its essence, dignity, uh, obscured. Hmm? It was. It is said that if a Gaudiya Vaishnava came, it was traditional that beggars would come, sadhus would come, door to door and beg. And and if if the lady of the house asked the servant hmm, who was at the door, said, "Oh, it's a goat," she says, "Oh, give him some food, send him away." They didn't think they had anything to learn from such people. Hmm. It was thought if you had, if your caste was in question, you became a Godia, and then, and you thought you had gone beyond caste and so forth. And, and so, Barnashram, being morally right, and Victorian England having its particular moral sensibilities, that in 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 in, in meeting head on with the uh, parakya and misrepresentation of that in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, you can imagine, that didn't go over so well. Hmm? Um, and so, Bhaktivinoda Thakur even writes that he, he, he grew up with a prejudice um, against the Bhagavatam. I want to read something about that as we conclude. Um, but he came in touch with Chaitanya Charitamrita in the Chaitanya Bhagavat. And then, he says that he he developed a great affinity for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He read the Chaitanya Charitamrita once, and he wanted to be a follower of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, but he couldn't quite understand how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu could be a follower of Krishna, who was immoral. He had to read it a second time to really understand it, he said, and understand Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's perspective on Krishna, how Chaitanya, and you understand, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna, he is, he is Bhagwan, and the extension of the Leela and so forth. And so this just exploded in his mind and heart, and he came out as a Gaudiya Vaishnava. And everybody, what? You know, he's joined those people? They're not even in the think tank here. Um, we don't even think about them. They have you know, no currency even in our own society, what to speak of them having currency in, in relation to the modern world and so forth. And so he had his work to do at the same time to pursue his faith in such a way that uh, others would appreciate uh, the, you know, its uh, significance. And so he began to write. And many of his books, as I say, many early books and important books were written before he was even initiated. So that's a pretty good accomplishment for uh, a new a new bhakta, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and um, and of course, eventually he he, he was initiated, and um, and he said at that time all of my bad habits from uh, my previous life uh, disappeared, and um, so he he followed very strictly the Vaishnav vows and so forth, and um, of course he was a family man, he father I think a dozen a dozen children. Um, but at a certain point in his uh, working career, he, he worked for the, um, for the British government as a magistrate in Puri. His, actually, his father, um, his grandfather, had somehow moved to Puri and got in some financial difficulties, so his father went to help him. Hmm. His father was gone for a long time when he was a child. He said that, that when he was just a young child, five years old, he... He, he, he spoke a poetic line, hmm? something about a crow. The crow, caw, caw. Hmm? The, the, the child of a certain flower or something like that, I guess, that the crow likes to eat. Hmm? Hmm? The crow, caw, caw. Hmm? Child of the squash flower. I forget what it was. Hmm? And... Uh, hmm? Move aside, father shall come, something like that. I mean, what? And two days later, his father came. <laughs> so he was like a covey, a bit of a poet from his early days. At, at any rate, um, there was some connection with Orissa, is my point. And eventually he was uh, stationed with work in Orissa. That's where Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsutaka was born, on the, on the road. It's like one main road which is the Jagannath Road, where Jagannath goes on his Rathiyata from the Puri Temple to the Sundarachal, which Kundicha, which represents Vrindavan. So Bhaktisiddhanta born on, on that road. And just at the time, just after the Rathiyatra also, it said that the cart of the Rathiyatra stopped, as it would at different times, for no reason. During Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time, the cart stopped, and no one could get it to move. They put elephants behind it to push it, to try to move the Jagannath card. It would not move. Because hmm. the Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had gone behind it to dance and chant. And only when he came out in front and moved forward, then the card would move. The implication of which, of course, is that Jagannath is Krishna. His eyes are big without blinking. And he's in ecstasy. And body transforms. And he's... He's, he's there on the altar. He's Krishna in Dwarka looking for Radha in Vrindavan. And there it's happening. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is manifesting as Radha and chanting and, and dancing. And as Krishna says through the pen of Krishna's Kaviraj that, uh, that, uh, that Radharani's dancing. I'm, I'm a student, a disciple in the dance school of Radharani. And her dancing, her love is my, my guru. So the cart appears to move for different reasons, but there's always a mesoteric reason behind it stopping. One time here in San Francisco, where Prabhupada began his Western Rathiatra, you know the story, one of his disciples, Malati Devi, she found in a one of those Pier 1 import stores a little statue of Jagannath, thought it was Indian, so she stole it. And, uh, and she, they were poor, she was a hippie. And brought it to Prabhupada, and Prabhupada said, Oh, where'd you get that? And he said, Were there any other two others? They said, There were two other little ones. He, said, he gave her some money. Go and get those. And then from these little tiny Jagannaths, he asked one of his disciples to carve large ones. So large Jagannath deities were carved, and Prabhupada began his Rathiyatra on the back of a truck, the pickup truck. Eventually it developed further, and um, one year later on, I think maybe in 75, at that Rathiyatra. Um, Prabhupada would come every year for that Rathiyatra. I remember being there in early years as well, but in 75, um, the Rathiyatra was proceeding along through Golden Gate Park. Many, many thousands of people there. And uh, the whole parade stopped. Hmm. And Prabhupada used to ride on Subhadra's cart, which is the middle cart. There's Balaram is in the front. Well, 
traditionally in, 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 in Iskandar Rathi Rathi Jagannath is in front and then Subhadra and Balaram so anyway the whole thing stopped and Prabhupada was riding in the middle on Subhadra's cart Prabhupada got off the cart hmm? came down chanting is going on to start he walked off into the woods and passed urine Golden Gate Park hmm? and walked back on hmm? and afterwards one of my godbrothers said that was the best part of the Rathya <laughs> <laughs> he said here's Jagannath you know the, the, it means the lord of the universe on the one side this is a you know Aishvarya perspective his name and then the Leela of the Rathayatra is so internal and so Madhurya, it's Krishna pursuing the love of the gopis, the, 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 the ropes that pull, are thought to be like the heartstrings of the gopis pulling him back to Vrindavan. Hmm? And so in the midst of this, he stopped, Jagannath stopped the whole thing so that his devotee could answer the call of nature. Hmm? And so, what is the position of Prabhupada, how you know Jagannath was was so pleased with him. So, <laughs> so so is something esoteric there with the movement of Jagannath's cart is the point. Uh, it stopped in Puri at the house of Bhaktivinoda and it wouldn't move, and and somehow the garland of Jagannath was taken and given to the son of Bhaktivinoda who was born with his umbilical cord wrapped around his neck like this, like we wear the Brahmin thread. Hmm? So, some foretelling that the, the boy, uh, son of Bhaktivinoda, had a very auspicious spiritual future. <clears throat> so at any rate, he had some connection with Puri and he became established there, as I say, as, as, as a magistrate. Um, there's the uh, famous story of how he took the imposter Vishnu to uh, to court and tried him. And it comes to my mind because the criticism that I mentioned that I received and asked if I could respond to it, I just responded to the devotee that sent it, saying a few words, which is foolish. But one of the criticisms there was that Bhaktivinoda Thakur had arrested this, this fellow Bibishan, Bibishan? I think it's no. no. Bishi, 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 I can't remember. Bishakana or something? Anyway, yeah, not Bibishan. And so he was arrested and tried, and the fellow was making the point that he was he himself had taken made a commitment to drive the British single-handedly out of India and that the British committed many atrocities in India and that Bhaktivinoda Thakur worked for the British government and arrested him and put him in jail for political conspiracy and therefore he convicted an innocent man whose only intention was to establish Vishnu, uh, you know, Hindu Dharma and drive out the demonic British it's such a pathetic <laughs> rendering of the event and even understanding of, of you know, the demonic British and uh, it's, it's just not nations of team. It's not like that. Individuals, people, the British. Yes, some people abused India. Many British people came to, to love um, India and, uh, and um, uh, you know, positive um, reaction and learn from it and so forth. People were converted. So Bhaktivinoda's position on the British was, well, they don't interfere with our religious life. Hmm? So he, he wasn't for being up in arms and having a revolution. He thought, they, they're pretty organized. We've got a good manager. Hmm? And uh, they don't interfere with our religious life, so we can perform our religious life under good management. We're protected from these warring tribes that at previous times have come in and would, like the Muslims, and, and try to change our religion and desecrate our deities and so forth. I mean, they had their reporting on it and so forth, their academic uh, you know, um, take. And um, in some ways, they, they tried to convert to, to Christianity. But, um, 
but at any rate, it's a mixed bag, and um, and uh, and and it's a fellow in the email said anyway, he was arrested not for having sex with other people's wives, but for being a political uh, conspirator, and of course you can't get arrested for having sex with other people's wives. It's not a crime. It's it's not it's morally reprehensible, but it's not a crime. But this fellow was doing that. Because he would not only not only was he claiming apparently that he would drive the British out of India, but he thought that his power to do so derived from the fact that he was Vishnu himself, hmm? and uh, because he was Vishnu himself, he demanded also that the local village men send their wives to him, hmm? so that um, he could have the parakya relationship with them that uh, that Krishna does, and so Bhakti Vinod for good reason, took exception to this. He couldn't, he couldn't, there wasn't a, a law against that, I guess, from the, in the British books. So he couldn't um, um, uh, convict him for that, but he convicted him for what he could and exposed him at the same time uh, to the religious public for what he was, an imposter. He had some mystic power, so people were afraid of him. But Bhakti Vinod was not afraid based on his Vaishnava of, of conviction. And so they went to arrest him and he brought some, some people with him. That, you know, he was the magistrate, so he brought some whatever constables with him. And at a certain point it said this Bibishan with, with the yogi probably threw fire down in front of them. And the, mad, the constables were shivering and Bhakti Vinod pushed forward anyway. And they arrested him and they took him to court. And the trial lasted for a week, and one by one, Bhaktivinoda's family members came down with fever, high fever. And by the end of the trial, Bhaktivinoda came down with a fever, and everybody was telling him, he's God, you can't do this, Bhaktivinoda. But he had the Vaishnava understanding, and he knew, this guy's not God. <laughs> he's some kind of a tantric, some, some what appears to be mystic power, but hmm, give it time, and it can be... There can be an explanation to it. How, if they could, if they could, if science would would expand to acknowledge subtle matter, which is probably inevitable, as much as it derides the idea of parapsychology at the present. There's a good book I read recently called. Well, I can't remember the title now. Um, something like "Irreducible Mind," I think it's called "Irreducible Mind." Um, very good book. They have a nice section on various paranormal things that um, that uh, can't be very easily dismissed unless you just dismiss them. <laughs> they need to be dealt with. So, at any rate, uh, then you could find subtle powers and other other subtle laws of nature that govern a subtle form of matter and so forth. And, and these things would not be as mystical as they appear. But at any rate, um, after the seventh day, Bhaktivinoda found him guilty and they put him in jail. And they cut off his hair. And then he, he, he lost all his power and he hung himself in, in jail. So, not one of the pastimes of Vishnu. Um, so, he was exposed. But, uh, but Bhaktivinoda, yes, he convicted him for being a political conspirator, but his drive hmm, to do so was the man's um, uh, uh, religious, that he was a religious, spiritual imposter and deceiving people and, and immoral, hmm, being engaged in immoral acts in the name of Krishna, who, Vishnu, who is the god, the deity of Bhakti Thakur. So it was quite a, it's quite a, um, it's a long and interesting story, and there's much more to it than that foolish person realized. At any rate, uh, he had an important position there in the government, and he used his position uh, as much as he could um, for the service of Vaishnavas. He, he at one point, um, uh, enacted some legislature, I believe, or uh, some got did something with his political uh, clout to uh, protect pilgrims, um, Vaishnava pilgrims, going to Vrindavan. Vrindavan was 
like Mayapur, very remote hmm? in those days. And, um, and so to go there, for example, from Delhi, or someone would go from afar, even much further than Delhi, in their whole life, sp- save up uh, to make the pilgrimage to Vrindavan. And then they would go and they would be bearing something to give to the deity or whatnot, and some savings. And, and uh, dacoits, thieves, and so forth would... Uh, would um, Harass, rob, and so forth the uh, the pilgrims. So he arranged some protection for the pilgrims to bring up. So he was using his political position in ways to serve the Vaishnavas as much as possible, and also demonstrating that a Vaishnav can be a active member of the society. It's a little harder, perhaps, in in, in our society. I, I you want to hear of Bhaktivinoda Thakur in his times and how he. And what it was like, I find myself longing for that kind of hmm, world where, you know, in this world, if the world could, in, the, uh, in this world could be like that, where Gaudiya Vaishnavism had a dignified position and its leaders were asked to comment on things and and their position was properly um, understood, just like they'll go and maybe ask, maybe ask the Pope, it's, it's diminishing, you know, his opinion on on something, something like that. Vaishnavism, Bhaktivinoda made it, made, made it a real player hmm, in the world. As I've said before, the Goswamis did in times, uh, what, 400-some years uh, before him, hmm, maybe less than 400 years, by getting the patronage of the kings and, and so on and so forth. Hmm. Um, and and not even Hindu kings only, but Muslim leaders as well. Who was that famous Muslim leader that uh, oh, I forget his name? Anyway, so but, but, but Rupa Goswami's design, architectural design of the Radha Govinda Temple, takes into is a blend of Hindu and and and, and Mughal. Architecture, it's a way, the temple is a way of saying, let's work together here, you know, we have things in common. And they have this harmonizing um, capacity, hmm? capacity of a real spiritual person. So, at any rate, they were um, in the mix of the world and, and uh, in the thought world. And so, Bhaktivinoda were kind of resurrected Gaudiya Vaishnavism in, in his time to take. Um, have such a position of dignity as well. It's an enormous task, given, as I say, uh, as I did earlier, his own understanding of of Gaudiya Vaishnavism and how he transformed, and you know, and that was the state of affairs, hmm? and he he changed it uh, to a, to a large extent by his person, his personal character. And by his uh, his writing, hmm? so considerable time spent in Puri, and then he, but he longed very much to uh, return to to Nadia and uh, and the place of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pastimes, and he had a desire to establish the places of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's the Leela Stalis of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Vrindavan. And this is also analogous to the way in which the uh, Rup, Sanatan, Goswami, they were commissioned by Mahaprabhu to, to, do this, to, to do this in Vrindavan, and they did, and as I say, got the patronage of the kings and so forth. And so now you can go to Vrindavan and say, Krishna did this here, Krishna did this here, Krishna did this there. So Bhaktivinoda did this by far beyond what anybody else did for Navadweep. I mean, he revealed Navadweep to the Hindu world and through his party bar, which we happen to be fortunate uh, members, uh, to, to the world. And the first thing that he was concerned with in this regard was the birthplace of our Eastern Savior, Sriman Mahaprabhu. Where is his birthplace? And um, so he um, did both. He did a lot of empirical research of old maps and talked to surveyors and such people and geographers and and um, and local people interviewed them and so forth. 
And then um, on top of that, he had this vision, and I want to read to you his vision, as he himself relates it in Svalikita Jivana, um, which, which he then followed with further um, empirical research and corroboration of local people, and it caused him to come to the conclusion that they that the present birthplace Yoga Pit in Mayapur, that, uh, where the Adbhuta Mandir has been established, which he predicted. Adbhuta means wonderful, or where a wonderful um, a temple will be established. Um, he really kind of saw this temple hmm, before it was established. And so uh, when he became convinced by his vision, which came twice, two consecutive evenings, from the other side of the Ganges on, on the rooftop, um, when that was corroborated as well by empirical evidence to his satisfaction, um, then he was extremely committed to seeing the, his vision uh, uh, manifest as a concrete place of worship, temple, and so forth. And it said he even went door to door in Calcutta to beg from the pious people to uh, collect the funds to establish the Adbhuta Mandir. Hmm. So he writes that it was 10 o'clock and it was very dark and cloudy across the Ganga in the northerly direction. I saw a large building flooded with light. I asked Kamal, I think one of his sons, if he saw it and he said he had. I asked the clerk who was apparently with him and he said, I didn't see anything. Because of that, I was utterly amazed. In the morning, I looked carefully at the place where I had seen the building from the roof of Rani's house, and I observed that there was there one tall tree at that location. When I asked others about this place, they said that this distant place was known as Balaldigi, and that the remains of the fort, etc., of Lakshman Sain were close by. That Monday I returned to Krishnanagar, and the following Saturday I went back to Balaldiki. I saw that wonderful phenomenon in that place again at night, and the next day I went to see the area on foot. Upon acquiring, inquiring excuse me, of the elderly people of that place, I was informed that this was the birthplace of Sriman Mahaprabhu. They call it Mayapur. It doesn't say it here. And it was filled with Tulsi plants growing. I gradually saw everything in the area. <laughs> means he saw the house of Shiva Stakur. The Shiva Sangam. That's also, that's also, there's a temple built there. It's also a vision of Bhaktivinoda Thakur and other places. And... And I ascertained where all the small villages mentioned in the Chaitanya Bhagwat in the Naraharitakur's Bhakti Ratnakar and Parikraman Padati were. So once he saw the birthplace and confirmed it, then other visions started to come to him. And, and the, really the um, sharing of this vision of Navadweep uh, comes to us in the form of Thakur's book titled Navadvipta Mahatmya. It's a beautiful book. And he frames the book as a conversation between Jiva Goswami, whose appearance they were also celebrating, and Nityananda Prabhu. Jiva Goswami was young um, when his, um, what, uncle, uncles, and, and father, right, Malam, left home. Rupsanata and Balava. And um, he left home at a young young age, said he came before his mother dressed in saffron one day. And she said, oh, very cute. And if you want to dress like that, then you have to shave your head. And then he went and shaved his head, and she got nervous. <laughs> He's for real. And uh, yeah, he left home. So <laughs> apparently he, he went to Nadia, and he met Atinanda Prabhu there. From there he went to Benares and got his education, and from... There he went to Vrindavan, came under the shelter of Rupa Sanatana. So, um, 
Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the framework, if you will, the framing of his the narrative of Mahavidam, it's a Mahatma is the glorification of Nabhidam. There's this conversation between Jiva Goswami and Nityanandapu, and Nityanandapu is taking him to the different places and telling him what happened and so forth. And, and so that's become like a map for um, Mayapur that enables one to do pilgrimage to all the places of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's Leela. Go there, and the tradition is you will go to that place, you will tell the Leela, perform kirtan, take the dust from the place, and go to the next place, and go to the next place, and go to the next place. Hmm? Uh, extended idea of that was um, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasik Thakur's uh, pro- program in which he sent his disciples to follow the course of Mahaprabhu's travels, Mahaprabhu's travels in Chaitanya Charita, uh, in South India that are recorded in Chaitanya Charitamrita and established uh, footprints like a footprint uh, of, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu be worshipped there and so forth. They went many, many places and did this. So this is a very transrational activity. Uh, it's uh, very powerful and uh, these kind of devotional activities, they, uh, they have um, I say a great, great power to purify us and, uh, and, and more. Uh, purify implies some removal of the negative, but um, positive there too, something positive too. So, um, so he was at any rate a very uh, the, the the most prominent person. I mean, I can't think of anyone that even the name even comes up in comparison uh, to a uh, person to establish the the glory of of Navadweep in, in a great detail. And again, this is as was his writing, and he's prolific. He wrote over 100 texts. That means poems, books of poems, uh, books of songs. Um, he wrote in a very... Um, in, in, he knew several languages, but he wrote mostly in Bengali. He wrote also in Sanskrit, and he wrote in English. And I'm going to read something as we conclude that he wrote in English. Um, but uh, in his writing, the whole spectrum of the human kind of population of Bengal, India, and, and beyond in, in, in his writing in English for the Western world was taken into consideration. In other words, he wrote intellectually and he wrote very simply also. Some of his texts and songs and, and uh, were, were just in very, very common, simple uh, language for the common people. Hmm? Ultimately, he, he retired from the government service. He got, he got transferred to, I think, the Birnagar district and then he retired for about 20 years. In the last six years of his life, he lived in seclusion, in Haribhajan. Um, but of the many things that he has written, there's one thing that stands out to me and has had the greatest influence upon me of all of the things that Bhaktivinoda Thakur has written. And uh, it's not a book, but it's a lecture that he delivered. Uh, it was probably penned and then read and spoken from. Um, um, and it's entitled The Bhagwat. Ethics, it's philosophy, it's philosophy, ethics, and it's theology. By Kedernoth Dot. Dot was his last name. Bhakti Vinod. So I'm, I'm going to read some sections to you. Um, just uh, brief brief sections. It's a, it's a long essay and it's very worth reading. But it, um, I read it many, many, many years ago, and I've read it a number of times since, and it had such a powerful impression upon me, and I think you can, you'll see why from some of the introductory sections I'm going to read from. It's, it's prefaced by a rendering of the third verse of the Bhagavatam, um, the blessing verse of the Bhagavatam, the Ashurvad Shloka Bhagavatam. That's a nice rendering. I'll read it. Oh, yay! who are deeply merged in the knowledge of the love of God and also in deep thought about it. Constantly drink, even after your emancipation, the most tasteful juice of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Come on earth through Sugadev Goswami's mouth, carrying the liquid nectar out of the fallen 
and as such very ripe fruit of the Vedic tree which supplies all with their desired objects. Srimad Bhagavatam Kijaya. Interesting rendering of the verse. Um, this is again a lecture that he, he gave. I'm going to read some, some paragraphs. Hmm. He says, as he begins here, we love to read a book which we never read before. Anybody read this before? Raise your hand. We love to read a book which we never read before. And this he uh, delivered in English. We are anxious to gather whatever information is contained in it, and with such acquirement, our curiosity stops. This mode of study prevails amongst a great number of readers who are great men in their own estimation as well as in the estimation of those who are of their own stamp. In fact, most readers are mere repositories of facts and statements made by other people. But this is not study. The student is to read the facts with a view to create and not with the object of fruitless retention. Students like satellites should reflect, I mean satellites, students like satellites, this was 100 years ago, uh, should reflect whatever light they receive from authors and not imprison the facts and thoughts just as magistrates imprison convicts in jail. Thought is progressive. The author's thought must have progress in the reader in the shape of correction or development. He is the best critic who can show the further development of an old thought. But a mere denouncer is the enemy of progress and consequently of nature. Begin anew, says the critic, because the old masonry masonry does not answer at present. Let the old author be buried because his time is gone. These are shallow expressions. Progress certainly is the law of nature, and there must be correction and developments with progress of time, but progress means going further or rising higher. Now, if we are to follow our foolish critic, we are to go back to our former terminus and make a new race. And when we have run half the race, another critic will, of his stamp will, say, will cry out, begin anew, because the wrong road has been taken. In this way, our stupid critics will never allow us to go over the whole road and see what is in the other terminus. Thus, we, thus the shallow critic and the fruitless reader are two great enemies of progress. We must shun them. The true critic, on the other hand, advises us to preserve what we have already obtained and to adjust our race from that point where we have arrived in the heat of our progress. He will never advise us to go back to the point whence we started, as he knows, fully knows that in that case there will be a fruitless loss of valuable time and labor. labor. He will direct the adjustment of the angle of the race at the point where we are. This is also characteristic of the useful student. He will read an old author and will find out his exact position in the progress of thought. He will never propose to burn the book on grounds that it contains thoughts which are useless. No thought is useless. Thoughts are means by which we attain our objects. The reader who denounces a bad thought does not know that a bad road is even capable of improvement and conversion to a good one. One thought is a road leading to another. Thus the reader will find that one thought, which is the object today, will be the means of a further object tomorrow. Thoughts will necessarily continue to be an endless series of means and objects in the progress of humanity. The great reformers will always assert that they have come out not to destroy the old law, but to fulfill it, Balmiki, Vyas, Jesus, Muhammad, Confucius, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu assert the fact either expressly or by their conduct. The Bhagwat, like all religious works and philosophical performances and writings of great men, has suffered from an imprudent conduct of useless readers and stupid critics. The former have done much to injury to the work 
that they have surpassed the latter in evil consequence. Men of brilliant thought have passed by the work in quest of truth and philosophy, but the prejudice which they imbibed from the useless, its useless readers and their conduct prevented them from making a candid investigation. The Bhagwat has suffered from shallow critics, both Indian and outlandish. That book has been accursed and denounced by a great number of young countrymen who have scarcely read its contents and contents and pondered over the philosophy on which it was founded. It is owing mostly to their imbibing an unfounded prejudice against it when they were in school. The Bhagwat, as a matter of course, has been held in derision by those teachers who are generally of an inferior mind and intellect. This prejudice is not easily shaken when the student grows up unless he candidly studies the book and ruminates on the doctrines of Vaishnavism. We are ourselves witness of the fact when we were in college, reading the philosophical works of the West and exchanging thoughts with the thinkers of the day, we had a real hatred towards the Bhagwat. That great work looked like a repository of wicked and stupid ideas scarcely adapted to the 19th century, and we hated to hear any arguments in its favor. With us, then, with us, then a volume of Channing, Parker, Emerson, or Newman had more weight than the whole of the Vaishnav works. Greedily we poured over the various commentations of the Holy Bible and the labors of the Tattva Bodhi Sub, containing extracts from the, Vi- from the Upanishads and the Vedanta, but no works of the Vaishnavas had any favor with us. But when we advanced in age and our religious sentiment received development, we, returned, we, we turned out in a manner unitarian, in our belief, and prayed as Jesus prayed in the garden. Accidentally, we fell in with a work about the great Chaitanya, and on reading it with some attention, in order to settle the historical position of the mighty genius of Nadia, we had the opportunity of gathering his explanations of the Bhagwat, given to the wrangling Vedantists of the, of the Banaris school, the Leela in the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Mahaprabhu converts Prakasananda. The accidental study created in us a love for all works which we find about our Eastern Savior. We gathered with difficulties the famous um, manuscripts in Sanskrit written by the disciples of Chaitanya. The explanations that we got of the Bhagwat from these sources were such a, of such a charming character that we procured a copy of the Bhagavatam complete and studied its texts. Difficult, of course, to those who are not trained up in physical thoughts, philosophical thoughts, with the assistance of the famous commentaries of Sridhar Swami. From such a study it is that we have at least gathered the real doctrines of the Vaishnavas. Oh, what trouble to get rid of prejudices gathered in unripe years. (laughs) So this is the testimony of Bhakti Bhanod. And in brief, I mean, the essay goes on quite long, and I skipped some parts to put these two pieces together. Hmm. A little more. As far as we can understand, no enemy of of Vaishnavism will find any beauty in... As far as we can understand, no enemy of Vaishnavism will find any beauty in the Bhagavatam. The true, true critic is a generous judge, void of prejudices and party spirit. One who is at heart the follower of Muhammad will certainly find the doctrines of the New Testament to be a forgery by a fallen angel. A Trinitarian Christian, on the other hand, will denounce the precepts of Muhammad as those of an ambitious reformer. The reason simply is that the critic should be of the same disposition of mind as the author, whose merit is required to judge. Thoughts have different ways one who is trained up in the thoughts of the Unitarian school or the Vedanta of the Banari school will scarcely find piety in the Vaishnavas. An ignorant Vaishnava, on the other hand, whose business is to beg from door to door in the name of Nityananda will find no piety in the Christians. This is because the Vaishnava does not know, does not think in the way in which the Christian thinks of his own religion. It may be that the Christian and the Vaishnava will 
utter the same sentiment, and they will never stop their fight with each other. But they will never stop their fight with each other only because they have arrived at their common conclusion by different ways of thoughts. Thus it is that a great deal of ungenerousness enters into the arguments of the pious Christians when they pass their imperfect opinion on the religious on the religion of the Vaishnavas. And as he said, hmm, same is true for many Vaishnavas. And we find ourselves at a time like this, hmm, in many respects, in the community of Vaishnavas, you know, stupid critics and foolish, what do you call them? Foolish readers. Foolish readers. Hmm. So this is just some idea of the spirit of Bhakti, we know, that out of which we all uh, come. And uh, Gaudi Vaishnavism has been spread far and wide. It needs to, it needs to be um, condensed or hmm, um, developed hmm, from seeds that have been planted and weeded hmm, and so forth, which is the kind of work Bhakti Vinodhakar himself was doing, but um, as I say, this is a work of his that everyone should read, and um, it's available. It can be downloaded from the internet, um, and it's the book that lecture the English writing of Bhaktivinoda has had such a great influence on me since my early um, mid mid twenties when I first had the good fortune to read it. So this we conclude on the auspicious appearance of Taku Bhakti Vinod, Shri Avrabha Mahamotsava, Taku Bhakti Vinod, Ki. Any question? All right, we stop there. Shri Shri Yori Vaishnav Guru Parampara Ki Jai, O Nityananda Ki Jai, O Bhakta Brinda Ki Jai, O Premananda Ki Jai.